You're listening to The Served Up Show, a podcast that features inspiring beverage professionals and topic experts that share their passions through meaningful content. Your hostesses, Bridget Albert, is best known as the Market Fresh Mixologist, an industry mentor with over 25 years of experience. And I'm Julie Milroy, best known for my passion for leading change and helping others grow in their careers. Grab a cocktail and sit back. Let's learn how we can make a positive impact in our industry. Hi, it's Julie. Thanks for tuning in to Served Up. I am thrilled to introduce you to Rachel Nemeth, CEO and co-founder of Opus, an innovative training platform that uses text to get their message across. Rachel is a champion of the deskless workforce in the hospitality industry. You know, that group that is the foundation that makes everything happen, often overlooked and forgotten. Rachel's roots are deep with family-owned restaurants and experience with some of the top hospitality groups in New York. Opus was inspired by Rachel, in her own words, being pissed off that the back of the house is always underrepresented and left behind. From English to process training and certification preparation, Opus covers it all. Now sit back, grab a Jim Beam highball in a can, and get inspired. Rachel, welcome to Served Up. Julie and I are really excited to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Me too. I can't believe it's been, I don't know how many months ago we connected on LinkedIn. Uh Um, I think it was actually in the beginning of COVID and you really stood out because of kind of your statements and what you were really speaking to and advocating for the frontline worker that aren't the behind the desk workers, right? A lot of the focus was really around everybody having to go to their home and and work from home and being on their computers. And we kind of forget about that frontline worker that don't have that option. Yeah. It's been a really interesting year, I think, particularly for that word, even frontline. And, and how we define it and what it means and who's included in that category. So yeah, it was, I was so pleased that we connected and, and especially on that particular topic. Yeah. So tell us what frontline means to you. And we're kind of straying away from our normal. And I know we're going to go, <laughs> we're at, like the normal way we start is to hear your story. But since we, since you just mentioned that before we kind of know more about your story, what, how do you define frontline? The way that we define frontline at Opus is with this word that we call deskless. So it's any worker, uh, and for us in the in the continental United States, but any worker in the world who doesn't sit at a desk all day. And that can mean a home health aide. It can mean uh, a nurse. It could mean a cook or a server, a picker, a packer, a delivery driver. It could mean a farmer or grower. It really isn't specific to one particular vertical. What it describes is the 70% of the American workforce that does not sit at a desk all day. So what drove you early on to be inspired by this 70%? Um, Anger, pure anger. (laughs) Uh, 
all good things come from being uh, very mad uh, and hopefully with an intent to to turn your anger into to something good. The story here begins really when I was 14. Um, I grew up in Kansas City and grew up in the restaurant industry. Uh, my mom is still in the restaurant industry. My grandpa owned a barbecue chain in Kansas City called Don's World of Beef. Um, we will get into that story <laughs> a little later and how his legacy continues at Opus. Um, but I spent my whole life in restaurants and uh, later on in manufacturing. And I also spent my whole life trying to get out of restaurants. These were the businesses that paid off my college loans, but they were also the businesses that were the hardest to work for and to work with and to, to move up in. And I'm coming from a position of privilege and I was still having difficulty moving up. And that was just coming from like a selfish kid <laughs> who wanted something more. But when I moved to New York City 10 years ago, um, I really started to get deeper into the restaurant industry. And that's when I started to understand a lot of the underpinnings of what the problem is with um, the way that we see and train and interact with the frontline workforce today. And the truth of the matter is, is that everything that we do at Opus is grounded in this staggering statistic that 80% of the global workforce does not sit at a desk all day. And yet 99% of VC dollars, investment dollars are going to the 20% who do sit at a desk. That was the moment <laughs> when I read that statistic, I sort of took everything I had known in the world of work and I coupled it with the, the, re the realization that technology was not reaching the majority and the rest began from there and hopefully, and, and turned into a lot of positive action. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I think now more than ever as restaurants start to open and businesses start to open, there is a shortage of labor, right? Yes. I think people have had some time to really think about where they spend their time and how much value they're getting and how it adds value to their life. And if it doesn't, they're choosing not to go back and do that same frontline work. Mm -hmm. So what do you think restaurants and businesses should do? When it comes to the labor shortage? Yeah. When it comes to the labor shortage and how they can be competitive um, and attract and compel these people to come back and, and come back to work. You know, it's a great question because, and it's something that we addressed uh, at Opus uh, a few weeks ago in one of our fireside chat, we gathered leaders together um, and we tried to answer that question. And the conclusion at the end of this really amazing discussion, which was very dynamic, and by the way, had a lot of great tips and a lot of ways that employers can attract and retain talent, which I'll talk about. This hasn't changed in the last 30 years that we have always had a retention issue when it comes to deskless workers. The restaurant industry gets this attention because they are the second largest employer in the United States. And so um, they get the headlines, but there are retention issues with home care professionals. There are retention issues with folks in manufacturing facilities uh, who are, are pulling in temp workers left and right who also are churning. Um, and so it's really rooted in a few things that when you experiencing, when you're experiencing a labor shortage, it can come from, uh, just kind of the, the fundamentals, right? Maybe the pay is not at market. 
um, or you're not offering benefits that are competitive. The second could be that you're not actually setting your team up for success. And a lot of that can be supported with a really good, strong onboarding. Um, a lot of turnover in businesses and the statistic changes from um, sector to sector, but most turnover, the most alarming rates of turnover happen in those first 30 days of employment. And so if you're not actually training your team from the beginning on your company values and what's expected of people and how they can grow and what just what their job is, <laughs> then they're going to get lost in the shuffle and find something else or feel not taken care of. Um, and the third piece of of the, the labor shortage is that you have folks that are uh, have lives outside of work <laughs> and frontline jobs are incredibly difficult. You know, I, I speak from my own experience that when you're standing on your feet for 16 hours a day, you might be earning overtime, but then you have a commute uh, to think about. And for many people, they have kids and second jobs to think about. Uh, they have elder care and lives just like you and I that um, are often hard to or not accommodated in frontline positions. And so the way that employers can actually sit situate themselves, and we're seeing this big change happen right now in the 21st century, but specifically in the post-COVID era, that employers are have to position themselves as employers of choice. It's not a nice to have, it's a need to have. You need to make sure that you are attracting employees into your business. And you can do that by uh, offering really strong training programs that can carry people not only beyond their 30 days, but over the next three, 13, 30 years in your business. No, I would love to have our listeners understand a bit about what Opus is and how it came to be. I know you said that you got really pissed off early on when you heard that. And now, and now I'm pissed because I didn't know that statistic. So there you have it. But, um, you know, how did, how did Opus come to life? What we do at Opus is we are a technology company that builds technology specifically for deskless workers. and. Uh, what we have done is built a learning platform that delivers training over text message. It sounds so simple, right? <laughs> um, it's a very complex problem to solve uh, because it's not really as simple as just sending a video or sending a quiz or sending a PDF to your employees. You also have to think about timing and cadence. You have to think about attention spans how can you meet people where they are with a very familiar technology while also achieving uh, very high learning goals? So if you want, I can, I can also share the, the real origin story here of Opus and how it all came to be. Yes, yes. <laughs> please. Yes, we, we, want, we want to know the truth. This is like the lesser known story of Opus, which I don't normally share because everyone likes to hear the sparkly side of it just happened overnight and it was all just ready to go. So I think the first thing to, to recognize here is I, I um, have the privilege of working alongside some of the most ridiculously talented technologists I've ever met. They are um, my co-founder, Jeff, who's also our VP of engineering, our head of design, Vince, our spectacular product individuals, engineers who are always putting users first. They're always thinking about what they can do to solve real problems, not just pushing out features, uh, which you oftentimes see in technology today. Um, what do the companies want to build rather than 
actually speaking to those users and saying, you know what, this might not be the most romantic thing right now, but we need to build it. So my background being in restaurants and specifically in operations is really what the origin story of Opus is. Uh, Previous to Opus, I owned a company called ESL Works. Uh, And for anyone out there who's listening, ESL stands for English as a Second Language. Uh, It's basically English training for anyone who doesn't speak the language, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's not their first language. A lot of folks speak 18 languages and (laughs) English just isn't one of them. That company, ESL Works, I founded um, several years ago. And what we did was we were a services business that taught English training in New York City kitchens. So restaurants would pay us to go in and to teach a 90-minute class between shifts. Uh, both of you are in the industry, so you know how this works. Uh, it's We were basically running a logistics company. Um, so I am also a certified English as a la- second language instructor. I speak Spanish fluently. And um, so I knew how to combine really great language instruction with the, the logistics issue of multiple shifts and multiple people in a crowded restaurant. I started to get calls. Um, and this was in 2018. So a couple of years ago from businesses outside of New York who said, we want, we want that too. <laughs> and mind you, this was also at a time where a lot of people were kind of specifically investors were actually kind of dumbfounded. I remember we never, we never raised a a dollar with that company. We didn't need to. And I I'm a very, and I know both of you are very entrepreneurial. I, I wanted to run it. I wanted to bootstrap it. I wanted to run it the way that I knew how to run a business. <laughs> um, and it was a great learning for me. Anyway, uh, we had a, I had a lot of investors who were like, restaurants pay for that? Restaurants pay for English training? But here's the statistic that 25% of the reportable workforce doesn't speak English as their first language. This is a huge issue across the United States that people can't get ahead at work. They can't even... Uh, communicate with their managers because they don't speak a common language. And so um, when we started to get demand outside of New York, I had to make this decision of do we productize or do we franchise? I got angry once again, (laughs) not being a technologist. I got really pissed off one Saturday morning and I was like, and this was after six months of trying to figure out how to build a product that brought English into kitchens. I had no idea. I had all these failures. We had tried, we had tried using learning management systems, LMS. Uh, we tried Zoom calls, which was early days of Zoom, I guess. Um, nothing worked. So one Saturday morning, I woke up really early. I made a video just on my phone teaching a quick lesson. It was like three minutes. I uploaded it to YouTube. And I had one thing that I knew that I could use to distribute that video to all of our learners at the time. I had a WhatsApp chat. I had a way to deliver this video out to all of these very eager employees who, by the way, were also asking for additional training, but couldn't get it. You know, they only had 90 minutes to spare at work or their boss could only spare them 90 minutes. So here's what happened. We distributed the video. I also attached a little Google form with it that was a quiz. So I sent two links to people, a YouTube video and a Google quiz. And 86% of people clicked and 76% of them completed the video and completed the quiz. And that was the validation. That was it. 
And from there, uh, the whole concept of text message training really blossomed over the the next 18 months. Um, So here we are at Opus today. English training is still embedded in our product, which makes us really unique. So all of our training for deskless workers also has an option to provide a continuing education aspect. But uh, we do, uh, we, we basically have built a platform that allows employers to build their own text message courses and deliver them to their team. Wow, that is fascinating, you know, because so many, especially international, WhatsApp is such a huge tool. Huge. Like yeah. everybody is on WhatsApp and and just the fact that you got that kind of a return, right? And, and people an engagement because you, you know, that's always the biggest challenge when you roll out training. So you said once you kind of tested the WhatsApp and you saw the interest and it took about 18 months to actually develop the app. Yeah. So that was sort of the, the light bulb moment. Right. And that was me sitting alone in my kitchen (laughs) with no software engineers in sight. And then it was a process of really trying to understand our mission and our vision and what we were actually building here. Um, A lot of iteration, a lot of sitting down at midnight in restaurants after people had finished cleaning and swabbing the floors and saying, can you take this three minute lesson? And my technique for that, actually, I'm giving away a secret here for everyone out there who aims to build software for frontline workers. And by the way, please do. Uh, It's desperately needed right now. Everything that we test at Opus when it comes to us maybe testing a new feature or a new course or what have you, um, we always, I always do it when I'm ridiculously tired and uncaffeinated. Um, because that's pretty much what our learners are going through. And so going into a restaurant at midnight after somebody's had a 12 hour shift and is exhausted and sweaty and ready to go home is actually the best time to get genuine feedback. And somebody who's actually going to say, this sucks, try again, (laughs) which is what we wanted. So we were able to spend that time really connecting with users and actually not building anything. Um, It was just a lot of research. Uh, but we we launched the platform officially. Uh, so we we basically like kind of shut down ESL Works, pivoted into Opus, and then we we officially launched about a year ago. I guess a little over a year ago, right when I met you, Julie. <laughs> wow! So you went from ESL to Opus, and what a time to really launch yeah. Opus during the pandemic. So could you share a little bit about the different courses you provide? Um, but before you do. When you taught ESL, was it just kind of basic communication of English or how Hmm. extensive was, uh, I'm just curious for my own sake, what, what extension was the, the, the English? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's one that a lot of people don't realize that we, there's a small percentage of English learners globally who need to take this test called the TOEFL exam. For anyone who's unfamiliar, it's basically like a regulated exam that is meant for businesses and certain professions to kind of certify people in English training. It's not really necessary in frontline jobs. (laughs) And uh, it's not a great measure of whether somebody has the ability to succeed in their position and grow. It's just another test. It's kind of like the SAT or the ACT. You look back and you're like, what did that really get me? (laughs) I think it achieves some things for some people. It certainly didn't achieve anything for me. So uh, what we're trying to do with the embedded ESL element is to get people to good enough. And I don't say that lightly. 
I say it because um, there are a million priorities in our lives. And what we aim to do is give people a platform where they can practice so they can send in their voice and they can get feedback on it. And again, they're all doing this through text message in order to develop what we call an in the ESL world, uh, willingness to communicate. Half the battle when it comes to learning a language, if you've ever tried to learn a language, <laughs> is that you, you're you just scared to try. Um, and that term is called an effective filter. So our goal when it comes to English training is to lower your effective filter. It's to lower that barrier, that confidence barrier, so that you can jump over it and actually just start to speak. Um, so by getting people snippets of English lessons throughout their work week, we're actually increasing the willingness to communicate. We're lowering the, the barrier to that confidence on the other side and getting people to good enough, which the majority of the time is exactly where they want to be and need to be not only in order to operate at work, but honestly, to go back home and talk to their kids, teachers, mm-hmm. or to, to go to the grocery store and confidently ask where the Kiwis are. So. We still hold those truths with that training. Um, Some of the other courses that we have are, uh, so we're the only known provider that we're aware of, of sexual harassment prevention training over text message in the U.S. Um, So what that does is it helps employers decrease that uh, seat time that folks are just kind of sitting in front of a computer in the locked in the office for 90 minutes. Um, not engaging. I just had a call with someone the other day who said like, my employees are falling asleep at their training. I said, I'm not surprised. <laughs> the global attention span is shrinking. So, so we actually, we do develop some of those courses. Most uh, of what happens with Opus though, is giving access to the platform to, to our customers and they build their own courses. Uh, it's super magical. I love, and it's really been amazing to see what customers are building. We work with quick service restaurants and fast food restaurants and uh, manufacturing facilities, and they all have different needs. And it's really amazing to see um, the depth and the breadth of training that these businesses already have, but they were missing the distribution element, the assessment element, and the inclusivity element. They had no way to reach their people equitably. And text message is the great uniter. (laughs) It absolutely is. And, you know, um, something I was thinking about while, while you're talking about, you know, really um, teaching a second language to people just so that they're good enough at it, mm-hmm. right? So they can speak to their, um, maybe their child's teacher, to their grocery store clerk, whatever it might be, and to have those better communication skills at work as well. Really, um, what I'm hearing is that what you're doing through your service is bigger than just training through text messaging is that you're really creating that, that platform that is all about diversity, inclusion, and equity, which is a big topic, especially coming out of the pandemic with everything that happened last year, well, you know, with Floyd, with Black Lives Matter, with, without, with it all, that this is such a terrific service that can really unite your team in a big way. Do you want to talk a bit about your hopes for Opus? Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And it's such a, it's an important topic, mostly because the conversation right now that you're seeing on LinkedIn and Twitter and the news around diversity, equity, and inclusion 
is largely focused on executive teams. And that's not a bad thing by any means, but it has a gaping hole where if we don't also think about some of the practical elements of how we can uplift our frontline into higher paying positions with more power so that they have a seat at the table, then all of this is moot. And so uh, you have to find a way to not only take this problem from the top down, but also from the bottom up. And that's what we're noticing with a lot of our customers now is that They're using Opus as a way to achieve consistency in their training. And that consistency means that you're offering equitable opportunities to growth to your team. That is so critical. So now the busser knows exactly what needs to happen in order to become a cook or a server, whatever they may choose, because at Opus, they can actually, uh, an employer can build a skill path in order to educate that busser, the the bus boy, the bus woman, the bus person on how to get to that position that they'd like to to be in. So this isn't just about delivering courses. It's also about creating skill pathways so that there's a logical way to get from point A to point B. It's not only um, a practical element for us to be achieving, but it's also deeply embedded in our company values. So we have two pillars to why we do what we do at Opus. Our mission is to create good jobs for everyone. And that is not a statement to be taken lightly. (laughs) The definition of good job is subjective and we understand that and we acknowledge it and we want to maintain that belief. But our two pillars are to create space for everyone and to inspire joy. And to create space for everyone means that you're first delivering accessible technology to your team. (laughs) And that doesn't just mean that all the accountants are getting great accounting tech and that all the servers are getting great POS tech. It means that every employee in your company is getting access to great training technology. The other element of accessibility and creating space for everyone means that we have amazing translation technology in the platform. So we have a customer, I love this story. We have a customer who has And by the way, it's automatically included in the platform. (laughs) You don't have to pay extra in order to to provide training to your Spanish-speaking or Cantonese-speaking or whomever-speaking employees, um, which I think is is a tragedy. (laughs) We had a customer who we checked in with the other day, and he said, I, you know, we have this growing team, we're opening up all these new stores. Um, but I wanted to make sure that this one employee, Victor, got training in a language that he was comfortable in. So I made sure that um, we translated that course into Spanish. One employee, he only has one employee who speaks Spanish, and he made sure that he was optimizing his use of Opus to ensure that he was delivering the most inclusive training possible. Um, that's just magical. <laughs> that's why we get up in the morning. <laughs> that is a beautiful story. And I think you know, I can really relate to it as being second generation Korean. My mom immigrated to the US and she had a major language barrier. She still does to this day. And she was very, you know, successful in her own will. She managed to get great jobs, do the work, but the language barrier was always a big thing. And she didn't have access to trainings like Opus or being able to get training translated into her language. So it was just another barrier for her to grow. And I think that ter- the term that you use that 
that skill path, right? And and as a desk worker, we talk about career path, but before you can get to career path, what is that skill path? And really thinking about that front line. But I just, I think that's so notable of Opus that you guys offer that. And, you know, even to this day, she still has challenges, right? Like she's thinking of refinancing her loan because people are calling her saying refinance your loan. She doesn't really understand what's happening and what's going on. So I'm trying to talk to her from Miami and she's in Alaska trying to explain. And I just think that as companies become more socially aware and want to create equity amongst their diverse employees that they should really think about how do we offer these different services for people that have language barriers. Yeah, absolutely. And it 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 comes down to making sure that you are having the conversation with your team about their preferences. Um, I think all too often folks make the assumption that just because Daisy speaks English, that she prefers to train in English. And that's not true. And the, the cool thing about Opus is that an employee can switch languages whenever they want. So maybe they want to take workplace safety in English, but they want to take the company values course in their first language. They can do that. And so giving somebody the opportunity to make those decisions inspires agency. And agency means that you act with purpose to achieve the things that you want at work. And that's exactly why we exist. I'm so glad that you do exist. This has been needed, I think, since <laughs> since the birth of Thank hospitality workers. <laughs> it's been needed because you know, hospitality is so very diverse. It really is. I mean, it, it doesn't matter quite where you work, right? If you look at the front of the house, the back of the house, there typically is a lot of diversity there. So Opus truly empowers people at the end of the day. And you talked about creating skill pathways and using the technology to train up people as well. Can you talk more about that? Yeah. So it's funny that you say this because I, I've been doing a lot of thinking about the term skill path lately and what it means. Um, so we, and I think we use that term, um, sparingly. Uh, we use it because it's it's certainly what people know and recognize in the new era of work. But the, the better way to think about it is how can we leverage existing skills that you have? And so I think that probably the, the better term I should have used is learning path here. But the goal here is that an employee whenever they start with their new employer, let's say it's a, you know, a a food manufacturing plant in Kansas City, they can get that orientation training, understand what they need to wear, <laughs> know the company policies, know what the GMPs are, make sure that they're ready, set, go for those first seven days, which are the most critical um, days where you really need to front load a lot of knowledge. And then beyond that, um, set them up for success in that first 90 day period where you're actually developing expertise in your current position. Ramp up takes a while. Um, even if you're coming from an experienced position, there's a lot of intricate details around processes that you need to know. And so with Opus, uh, an employer can create a course on a specific process, how to pack this 
pretzel or how to close this box or how to talk to that customer or what to do when this angry customer comes in and you need to, you know, like these things actually happen. So employers can take from these existing scenarios, create a micro course, which we should talk about um, the actual methodology here and deliver it to their team at the perfect time within their employee life cycle. Right. So the training that Julie gets in her first 90 days is very different than the training that Julie needs to get in her thousandth day. At that point, she might be ready to be a key holder or a leader, or maybe she's curious about a different position in the company. Doesn't matter, right? Like all employers want is to make sure that their their team is happy and retained. And of course, we all know it's much less expensive to keep and grow an employee than it is to hire from outside. Whether it's an executive position or a frontline position, it costs about $1,500 every time a cook turns over in a kitchen. But to retain that person and grow them for $7 a month <laughs> or whatever it might cost um, to train them is, uh, is worth the investment. Uh, but you have to be really thoughtful as an employer around what kind of training needs to happen at each point in that employee life cycle. And Opus can help support with planning that. The beautiful part of that, and I say this from my own experience, um, is that you don't have to overthink it. You can actually at Opus just start with a couple of courses that you deliver to your team. And most of the time, employers like to start with an orientation, a great, beautiful, here's our company values. Here's company leadership. Here's what, here's that that guy who's the president of the company that you see poking around, picking up napkins off the floor, like, oh, that's the president. You should know who that is um, down to the, the nitty gritty of these. This is what you need to wear. And this is where you keep your things. Um, so skills are certainly coming with that. But a lot of the time, it's how do we leverage your existing skills so that you can be really successful in your job? Yeah. That that's really important. And even just the basic content, right? We sometimes we take things for granted and we just assume that everybody would know those basic things. But if you're never taught, you don't know. And we see that as an organization that have so many different layers from the front front line to the layers up leading up to management from a territory level, then to a state level and then national level. And sometimes we're privileged to a lot of conversation, a lot of strategy and everything that's happening at a corporate national level. And you talk to people on the front line and you realize everything's been lost in between, right? So who are your customers? Who can have access to Opus? Are you only offering it to companies? Do individuals sign up? Mm, great or, question. Or how does that work? Yeah. So we are currently a, a B2B solution. So we sell directly to businesses and uh, they get access to the platform in order to build their own bespoke training programs in minutes, not months. So we work with companies that are up and down the supply chain. And that really um, hits kind of every part of the, the front line. So from we work with farms, we work with manufacturing facilities, distribution companies, we work with restaurant groups in all of the different verticals, <laughs> uh, all of the acronyms, QSRs, FSRs, fine dining, fine casual, uh, multi-unit groups primarily. And we also work with some folks that are 
what we don't, who we don't realize are still in the supply chain. So we work with car washes, um, for example, which employ a very large frontline workforce of individuals who are servicing, uh, you know, I think one of our customers services like a hundred thousand cars a year. This is American life. These are, we are interacting with, with goods and materials and services all the time. And the people who are keeping that wheel moving are the deskless workforce. And that's who we serve at Opus. I want to hear more about, was it your grandfather that you mentioned early on that's still part of Opus? Can we talk about him a little? Yeah. My grandfather on my mother's side, um, Donald Sanders, uh, was the owner of a company or a restaurant called Don's World of Beef back in the... I'm going to get this date wrong. So back in, I think it was in the fifties and (laughs) sixties and my mom's going to kill me for getting that wrong. Um, But Don's world of beef was, I, I misspoke earlier and my grandpa's probably turning in his grave. It was not a barbecue joint. Don's world of beef sold quality cuts of beef. So what's so beautiful about that is that from the, the little girl who used to resent the fact that her entire family works in restaurants. Now at the age that I'm at, I am starting to get this trickle from, with my mom and my aunts and uncles and all these other stories of Don's World of Beef and what an institution it was in Kansas City and how important it was to that community. He owned seven, I think he owned seven different stores. Um, he was so entrepreneurial and it was beyond just opening the doors of a restaurant. Something that was really fascinating is that he had a partnership with uh, one of the biggest parking lot companies in Kansas city. And you know what that got him, right? It got him the best real estate and the best visibility with customers. So right there in the middle of a busy parking lot, smack dab in the middle is Don's world of beef. Those are the stories that, you know, you don't hear <laughs> until you become a business owner in the family. And everyone's like, you know, that grandpa Don was really savvy, right? Like he knew how to run a business. Um, it's since been, I guess, 30, 40 years since Don World of Beef closed their doors, but that legacy continues. And it's, you can go on the internet now and do, do a search for Don's World of Beef. And there's these little forums of people who are still fans of that joint. And that's so amazing. And the reason why it connects to me is not only because he was my grandpa and because of that entrepreneurial spirit, but also because of the stories around his kids who all worked in his restaurants, who all got their work ethic from working in the restaurant. You know, my aunt is very high up in academia and still talks about how, like when she's interviewing someone, uh, for, uh, assistant Dean or what have you, and if they're walking down the sidewalk, she looks to see if that person's going to pick up the gum wrapper on the sidewalk. She goes, I know that they're going to be great. (laughs) We've all worked in restaurants in some way. We've all been touched by food in some way. And it's such, it's the great uniter, but having a respect for that kind of work is something that not only comes from having done it yourself, but being surrounded by it your entire life. It's just so embedded in my history. And I'll also say this, like we have big plans at Opus. We're growing very quickly. Uh, we, we love restaurants. My heartbeat is in restaurants, but it goes so far beyond that. And, you know, it goes into construction 
a lot of our trainees at Opus also work in construction or they're Uber drivers or what have you, or Lyft drivers or any sort of, you know, uh, profession that requires that you, you don't sit at a computer. So it's such like a long winding story because it's so just woven into the way that I think and act every day to the point where actually our, all of our demos, if you go onto LinkedIn and you follow Opus or Opus training, and you'll, you'll always be able to see snippets of the product. You'll see in the bottom left-hand corner there, you'll always see a uh, Don's world of beef because we always use that restaurant as a, an homage to my grandpa and to where our roots are at Opus, which is restaurants. And I've seen that too. So it's great <laughs> to, to hear the backstory of Don's world of beef. And I can relate with so much of what you're saying. My mom had a restaurant as well. Her and my aunt purchased a restaurant as I was in my early teenage years. So I can remember being 14 and that's what my life involved is finish school and go to the restaurant and work and weekends and summer vacation, always working in the restaurant. And as much of a burden it was for me when I, when I grew up and, and the age that I'm now and, and even earlier it was some of the best moments of my life. And it has taught me that work ethic. And I remember somebody once that interviewed me when I first got into the liquor business said, I love hiring people that worked in the restaurants because you know how to take care of multiple people and how to multitask. And, and it's not for everybody. Um, but I, I also like that you're not just limited to restaurants because when we talk about the front line and we talk about our immigrant population and people that are willing, able, ready to work and put in that hard work to take care of their families, that training is a barrier and that you can provide that for many different industries. I think it's great. And the one thing that pops up to me, uh, pops up in my head is there was a time that I volunteered for the YWCA and they were doing major outreach on for women and especially in the immigrant communities to get their mammograms early on to identify. And so I could just imagine Opus helping, you know, working with some of these organizations for their outreach, right. And, and being able to provide the training through that. So it's just fascinating. And I can't imagine where you guys will be in the next five to 10 years. What do you see for Opus? It's really limitless. There's a lot of work to be done when it comes to uh, frontline training technology and the whole stack of frontline training doesn't really exist yet. And the whole stack of frontline technology doesn't really exist yet. There are a lot of great companies that are doing, are, are starting to lead the charge right now. And I'm really excited to see what happens over the next 10 years. Our vision is to create a world where we're I'm able to report back to you <laughs> in 2031 and say, you know what? 99% of VC dollars are not going to the 20% of people who sit at a desk all day. We've changed that statistic. Now, 70% of VC dollars are going to the frontline workforce and 30% are going to desk workers. You know, it's, it's a big bold ambition and it might take a lot longer than 10 years, but we have to try. And I, you know, I speak about this funding only because it does have to start somewhere. And I think, especially as a woman owned business, it's, uh, it's something I think about a lot. 
and, and there's like a real purpose to our business model too at Opus. We're, we're not a charity. We believe that employers should invest in their workforce, especially their frontline. And you know what? Employers believe that too, because they're already doing it. <laughs> they're already investing in their teams. So I, the future is bright. There's a lot of work to do. We will always be a pioneer in, in training. I think we're always thinking about what's next. But I think the opportunity to expand beyond that and to develop really amazing communication tools, um, rewards, recognitions, productivity tools for the front line are limitless and all in an effort to build that connective tissue between the executive, the manager, and the employee who's out on the field all day. You're doing really important work and you're such a unique guest today on Served Up. (laughs) We've not anybody like you yet on here. I mean, I guess everybody is quite unique, but this is your style of training is something that's so fresh, you Mm -hmm. know, super cool. Where can our listeners find Opus? So you can learn more about Opus on our website. Uh, Visit us at www.opus.so. Uh, it's a nice, beautiful website URL that I love. <laughs> um, you can also follow us on LinkedIn. Um, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and all the places where social media exists. <laughs> um, and you can also catch us on um, our fireside chat series, which brings in subject matter experts um, in and outside of the field. Lots of interesting voices, sharing their stories about their frontline and and the problems that they're solving in the world of work. Wow. So great. And we appreciate you sharing and and giving us a look into Opus and behind the scenes of Opus. I just, I'm so excited for the opportunity that lays out there that you haven't even had a chance to tap into yet. You know, I mean, being that we're both from distribution, training, reach, engagement is always a huge challenge. I mean, you know, Bridget's in a training role now. I did training in part, you know, part of my career, but I feel like it's embedded in you. You've constantly got to give knowledge and make sure that people understand what resources they have available. Like the training never stops. And I think as restaurants open more and more in order to be competitive and to really want to retain your employees, you've really got to educate them, skill them up, learn them up, right? And then Mm -hmm. give them that career path. And I, you know, just imagining what you said, checking in with us 10 years from now and saying, these dollars are now going to the front line. Imagine what that would do for our GDP, for our economy. Mm-hmm. Tapping into, you know, I mean, and people talk about, you know, we don't really, when it comes from marketing, we don't tap into, you know, the black community, people of color, like we just keep going back to the same fishing hole, right? We just keep doing that. Like how much of an impact can we see when we tap into these untapped communities to upskill them, provide more learning or, you know, just cater um, to their needs. So that's just really exciting. It's a pretty interesting world to be in. Um, It's also, you know, I don't think it comes without its challenges when you are, we don't really have anyone to mirror. (laughs) Uh, You're starting from scratch a lot. And, but I think we're, 
we've been given the gift of having really wonderful customers and a wonderful community of individuals in the food community and the liquor community and the distribution community who are just so eager and ready for a change in the way that we see the world of frontline work. And so um, I think we have a good we don't do this alone. We do this beside a lot of people who are very ready for change. Mm-hmm. Well, Rachel, you know, Julie and I want to wish you all the best. We want to see Opus change those percentages <laughs> even sooner than you're predicting or pushing. And um, I don't know you that well, but I just want to say I'm proud of you. <laughs> I think it's just, it's incredible work. And you know, on behalf of Julie and I and Served Up, we just want to wish you, you know, just great health and a lot of peace. Thank you so much for being on our show. Thank you for having me. This was wonderful. Thank you, Rachel. Thanks for listening. Served Up is brought to you by Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits. Produced by Zunu.online. Music by We Kill the Lion can be found on Spotify. Make sure to subscribe to be notified of future Served Up episodes. Cheers!